0: I'm beginning a series this morning on the book of Romans. We'll be going through the book of Romans chapter by chapter. A couple Sundays we'll do more than one chapter. I promise you, um, almost all scholarship in the, ch- uh, the church community considers this the most in-depth theological book. Book of biblical teaching and doctrine in the whole Bible. So it's going to be so much fun. It gets better and better. Literally ascending into Great truths. Before I begin, let me share something humorous. A, our burglar breaks into a dark house one night. He's moving around in the dark when he hears a calm voice say, Jesus is watching you. The burglar freaks out, shines a flashlight around, and spots a parrot sitting in his cage. The parrot says again, Jesus is watching you. Relieved this just a parrot. He starts laughing. The thief said to the parrot, What's your name, parrot? The parrot said, my name is Moses. (laughs) Laughing again, the burglar said, who would name their parrot Moses? The parrot said, the same people who named their Doberman Jesus. (laughs) In Romans chapter 1, Paul had been saved over 20 years, delivered, of course, by the great transforming experience on the road to Damascus. He longed for and and often spoke of his hunger to get to Rome. It was a promise God had given him. It was his hometown. This is about 2 years before he went. He writes this amazing epistle. Paul verse 1 says a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of Christ. It's wonderful how Paul in every introduction says, I'm a love slave, I may be an apostle too. I'm I'm a high-ranking spiritual leader. Oh, by the way, I'm a slave. I'm a bond slave, a chosen slave, a one who's serving because of love. It's such a great, God's raising up kings with the hearts of servants, amen? No more authoritative, you know, uh, autocratic, uh, uh, no more autocratic, thank you, Pastor George. I speak in tongues, but he has the gift of interpreting tongues. No more autocratic leadership in the church that stands up, I'm the apostle, do it. No, there's, there, there really are apostles, but they should be the most loving, most gentle, most Christ-like, and the most really mature people in the kingdom. So there's a lot of beautiful things in Paul's life at this point. What he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, he introduces Jesus He's the Christ and he's the Lord. The three words that Paul really elevates about Christ is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his current position. That's who he is. He's Lord. We sang about it. Ain't no one higher than him. No, ain't no name above his name. Amen. And declared to be a son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So, Jesus has risen from the dead as evidence that he was God's son, but also evidence of the sinless life he lived, the atoning victory he won for us, born according to the seed of David, but raised up as the promise of God, the Emmanuel, the Redeemer of mankind. Through him we've received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations through his name, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, now he's reaching out to them, Beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Always talking about the trilogy, the, the triune God. The Father so loved the world He sent His Son. The Son came and won victory. He ascended and sent His Spirit. The three in one. Now the two things I love about that, that verse are whenever grace comes, peace is available. So the grace of the cross, the grace of Christ, gives every believer access to peace. Because I am the recipient of grace, I can walk in peace. Amen? Peace cannot ever live in a house that's not governed, in a home and a heart that's not governed by grace. It can't stay long. Among whom you also are called by Jesus Christ, to those in Rome. Okay, verse 8. First, I thank God, my God, through Jesus Christ, for all of you that your faith is spoken throughout the whole world. So it's a good thing to have a reputation for faith. So the Roman church was well known for their faith in Christ. Not just kind of the general faith that that we talk about, a person of faith, but the practice of faith. People that are exercising faith by trusting, believing God. For God is my witness, whom I serve with the spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. One beautiful thing I have found that in my own life is often the, the people, and the places, the churches of the cities I prayed for, I end up being assigned to later on in life. At some interval of time, I end up being there, and it's a it's a wonderful thing when, when someone when God places a burden on someone to pray for. I promise you, someone's praying for you. God, the Holy Spirit shares that multiplicity of intercessional uh, assignments that everyone has covered, making requests that by some means I may find a way by the will of God to come to you. So we never stop longing to come there. For I long to see you that I may impart to you a spiritual gift, some spiritual gift that you may be established. Now, this is a big thing. Okay, point number one, the principle of impartation. Real ministry is much more than the communication of information. Is the spiritual impartation of the grace and authority that's in the minister's life to those they minister to. So, let me say it like this. Most ministry is impartation, not information. You with me? So, there is, the, the, there is a grace that flows from the life of a person. It doesn't matter if it's a person in the church ministry or a person ministering to others. What you have as a person is imparted to others. It happens in families. It happens in every kind of structure. That the the culture and the DNA, the expression of the leader, leaders ends up being carried on in those that they are leading. So he's yearning for this impartational spiritual gifts, and he wants just to to unlock their treasure chests of spiritual gifts. And uh, so, uh, next verse, verse twelve. That is today that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both you of me. So he said, we're going to have a great time. I'll be encouraged. You'll be encouraged. I'm, I have a longing, a burden, and anointing to, to be with you. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as other Gentiles. Uh, so Paul said, I've, uh, it's, it's, you know, I've tried to get here. So if you, if you study the life of Paul, He talked about it, you know, semi-frequently, that Rome, God had put it in his heart, Rome, and to minister to the Roman church. Verse 14, I am a debtor, both to Greeks and barbarians, the wise and unwise, such as in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you in Rome also. So, Paul said, I live with a constant debt that the good news, the gospel, the word gospel is evangelion in the Greek, it means compound word good news. So Paul said, I'm a debtor to every person, whether they're Jew, Greek, rich, poor, bond, slave. I'm a debtor to everyone to tell you the good news. Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ forgave your sins. You can have new life. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can be delivered from the bondages of sin and Satan. You can be a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. So Paul said, I'm a debtor to tell everyone I go. In chapter 13, he says, I'm a debtor to love everyone. He said, owe no one any debt but to love them. Live with that constant kind of responsibility to share the gospel and to share God's love. That every believer, not just preachers, should have that compulsion in their life. Verse 16. Now here's really, verse 16 and 17 describe the whole book of Romans. And are, they capsulize, they crystallize, and they really make clear what, the, what this book, the whole book's about. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ the good news of Christ, for it is what the gospel is, the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Here's what Paul said. Here's what the Holy Spirit said. When we share the gospel, we release God's power. The power of God. Now, it's so important because we're going to talk about some things, some strongholds, and it's really some demonic powers that have regional effect in Rome. But, but Paul said, I'm coming with the antidote. I have the weapon to defeat the devil's power and sin's dominion. It's called the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The greatest love story written in human civilization is that God so loved the world, he gave us his son. That whoever believes in that son would not perish in a devil's hell, but have everlasting life. God sent Jesus because he loves you. That's the gospel. You are loved. I don't care who doesn't love you. I don't care who's mad at you. I don't care who said they disown you. You have a God that will never unlove you, never stop loving you, never give up on you. The good news is God loves the worst sinner. God loves the more, the person that's the furthest from him. God loves the person that's the, the most lost. God loves the least, the last. The, God loves them all. That's the gospel. And we're... We're compelled to share with people you are so loved. The good news is God couldn't do without you. He would not have a heaven that you would not be in. And so he sent his son to heal you, restore you and bring you home. The gospel's the power of God. It can save the most wretched sinner. It can save the most traumatized soul. It can save the most deceived mind. It can raise up the most broken heart. There's no person the gospel can't touch. There's no bondage the gospel can't break. There's no heartache or sickness the gospel can't heal. It's nothing but good news all the time every time to every person everywhere. And then he says the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. Ah! Oh, the, the the perfect holiness of God. Well no one can could get there. Not the best practice, the best observer of Jewish faith couldn't get there. The the most moral person without Christ couldn't get there. No one. There's none righteous. No, not one. No one could get to God until Jesus made a way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to the Father. I think it's wonderful when people live good lives, moral lives, when when they're compassionate, when they're empathetic. That's wonderful. Those are all great things. But no one's so good they get to God without Jesus. No one's so righteous they get to God without the righteousness of Christ. So he's going to share. In this chapter, he'll talk about sinners. In the next chapter, he talks about religious people. that think they're better than others, but they're not. You with me? There's none righteous, none at one. We all need Jesus. Okay, verse 18. For the wrath of God, ah, wow, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So God hates sin and God loves people. Satan said, I know what I'm gonna do. I wanna take what God hates, sin, and put it into what God loves, man. So God, in order to love what God loves, He'll have to love what He hates. Or in order to hate what He hates, He'll have to hate what He loves. And so it's a chess game. And Satan said, uh, "I got gotcha. you." Move in the. I got gotcha. you. And the Father smiled. Oh, really? Let me show you my next move. And He sent Jesus. And Jesus tore down the wall of sin, and Jesus broke the curse of sin, and Jesus removed the enemy 's power over man what we could not do Jesus did but let 's go on because it 's going to give now a kind he gives a clarity a behavioral clarity of of what sin does and what idolatry specifically does uh, verse uh, eight, uh, nineteen, Because when what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. I'll talk more about that in the next message about the human conscience. For since the creation of the world, his in, invisible attributes are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead. So that they were without excuse. So Paul said this creation's broadcasting, there's a God. And he said this, a omnipotent God, an omniscient God, an omnipresent God. So all of creation has the fingerprints of God on it. I'm having so much fun. Our, uh, our California kids were with us, and um, I got to hold baby Romeo. He's about eight weeks old. I can't, I can't hold him enough. So I'm just holding him, loving him. I, just, I love it when he's sleeping. I, 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 yesterday I held it for two hours straight when he was taking it out. I enjoyed every second of it. Romeo began by, with one cell. One cell. The most complex thing in the world, the human body, begins with one cell. And look the beauty that God makes. So all of creation is an advertisement of God. To willfully neglect or deny that is to impose a self-blindedness on a person's life that says, I, you know, I, I don't believe that, I, I, you know, I don't believe, I don't believe there's a God that makes things. But the Bible says this in Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. In the cosmos, astronomers tell us, and scientists, and now we've really dug deep into as much as we can that there are billions of galaxies. The average galaxy in the universe holds a billion stars. So it's a billion times a billion. And we, and we haven't yet reached the end of our understanding of how big the universe is. So God made the sun, the moon, the planets, the universe, all that it is. So the heavens are broadcasting at nighttime. I woke up early today, it was full moon out there in the clouds. It was fun. Had a little sunrise picture of the, at the full moon. Because ah, I'm kind of a, a fanatic about sunrise and sunset. Ah, clouds, colors. Ah, thank you, Lord. Just for me. And, you know, beautiful stuff. So the, the secular mind wants to enjoy the beauty of God's creation, but deny the authorship of God. Huh. So there's a problem with that, okay? A couple simple points, okay? Creation demands a creator. In physics, one thing we know is it's just a simple law. It's really a critical thinking process. It's impossible for something to come from nothing. Y'all hear? So that's kind of a basic given law. That's true, except for when they talk about the universe and the earth, man, and evolution. Then all kinds of stuff came from nothing. Both science and the Bible agree. The universe had a beginning. We can study now in science, the radioactive ways we can study the moment there was, they call it the Big Bang, this explosion, and the universe was created. The amazing thing was, the universe was created in a perfect order, completely adhering to the laws of physics and chemistry. So it wasn't just birth, it was birth birth in perfect design and order. There's not chaos in the universe. There's unbelievable structure and order. The more you study it, the more you're amazed by it, okay? Um, Number two, life demands a life giver. Once again, in science and physics and in every understanding, it's impossible for life to come from non-life. life Okay, let me take you to back to fifth grade biology. So when I went to Hohokam uh, grade school and then medicine number two from, I think, my eighth grade year, seventh and eighth grade year. And so, so um, the, the idea of evolution. So billions of years ago, there was a, a, a just, this, just this, this unformed mess, this, 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 this pond of goo. And after a billion years or so, all of a sudden, there was a living cell in it. So in this, this pond of glue f- made a living cell. And then a billion years later, it formed a, a, a little kind of worm-like creature. And one day, the worm-like creature was in the pond of goo, and it bumped itself against a rock. And it had a, and a little bump come out, and that bump decided to become a lake. And the one leg said, we sh- there should be two of us. So we can walk out of the pond. And then uh, the, the explanation for the origin of life, it takes so much faith to be an atheist. It takes so much faith to believe in evolution. Now, of course, there's a court. And listen, I believe in micro changes in species, okay? So the species, that that. Adaptation is possible, given by God. But there's not micro changes in the fossil record. We, there's no missing links anywhere. Not, not even a fossil record of one. The, the the squirrel got tired of not flying and just grew, grew wings. That didn't happen. Okay? These species in the fossil record, entire species. It's amazing. Okay. I don't want to bore you. Okay. Design demands... A designer. Design demands. Our friends take us to Europe. We're looking forward to it in May, and maybe we'll go to, get to go to the Louvre Museum, and we'll go there, and we'll gawk it. we'll stand there before you know paintings, and but but I, I won't stand before this, this this priceless, majestic masterpiece and say. No one painted that it just just was evaporation moisture over time a billion years of time no at the bottom of it the author signs the painter signs the creator's huh da vinci whoever and and they signed their works to accept responsibility ownership authorship of creating it God's signed every single thing in creation. He signed it. The Bible says, "You are fearfully and wonderfully made. your, your body, your person. there's a hundred thousand miles of blood vessels inside of you. No wonder you feel tired today. Your brain will process a billion actions every second. Your nose can detect. 10,000 different smells. We think that might be a small number, actually. But I wanted to have mercy on you that worry about smells. Your heart beats 100,000 times a day. The DNA from your body stretched end to end can go to the sun and back six times. That one... That's millions of miles away. There's the strands of DNA. This, This incredible... Mathematical protein inside of you that that every person has a different marker God literally signed an original signature on you no one has your DNA, no one has your eye your iris, no one has your fingerprints He signed you're a one of a kind original masterpiece. no one like you no one like you so the complexity your your body, the respiratory system, the circulatory system, your uh, uh, nervous system, your skeletal structure—every part of there's such a beautiful, organized, creative wonder in the human body. But if you tell kids you came from a monkey, you were born in a pond of goo. Your great ancestor was a worm in a goo pond. There's no God, there's no meaning. You came from a purposeless beginning, you'll have a purposeless life, and you'll die a purposeless death. No wonder a generation of young people feels such a longing. It used to be you had to be in your middle ages to have a breakdown. Now they're breaking down at 17. Exhausted by all the negativity. If you tell someone there's no purpose for their life, it takes hope away from them. This is the first generation we've studied every generation for a hundred years. The first generation in American history that, that doesn't believe their lives will be better than their parents. Now, why would they believe that? Well, because they've been poisoned with hopelessness. Okay, let me go on. There are 37 trillion cells in the human body. Okay. Next part of chapter 1. Hold on to your seats. This gets pretty exciting here. So the apostle said this next. Verse 21. Because they, when they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God. They weren't thankful, but became foolish futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. So, I just want to say this. It's amazing how off-putting an entitled person is. And an entitled person is a person that has things but is ungrateful for for everything. It's off-putting to God. It's off-putting to people. It's amazing how attractive to God is a thankful heart. Now, here's what we found out in psychology. The happiest people on earth are the most grateful people. Grateful people are happy people. You can find someone with literally hardly anything, but if they have a grateful heart, they're happy. You can find someone with everything who's ungrateful, entitled, and miserable because they are unthankful. Begin your days with gratitude. And you'll soar through them. You with me? Thank, give thanks in the middle of all things, Ephesians says. Be constantly thankful. Okay. Next verse. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of God, the incorruptible God, to an image made like corruptible men and birds and four-footed animals and creepy things. So, um. People, so the world's not falling into simply atheistic uh, secularism. The, the, The natural outcome is paganism, is the worship of false gods. Because people are made to worship. We were made to worship, and people, and everybody worships something. They worship something. They have an idol of something. Something they adhere to, something they value, something they bow to. Whenever it's not God, oh, trouble happens. Therefore, this statement, verse 24, God also gave them up to uncleanness, to the lust of heart, to dishonor the their bodies among themselves. Now, that, that phrase, gave them up or gave them over, is, I think used four times. Now, the great, please get this. The greatest judgment of God on the earth is that when God pulls back from you. Okay, you can have that. When conviction leaves, restoration becomes impossible. I don't know about you. I always want to feel bad about sin. It's good to feel bad about sin. Come on. And what are you saying, Pastor? Well, well, God didn't. He didn't destroy them. He. he, he, Rome was a cesspool. Poets, authors, historians, narrators of that time—they all talk about the Roman Empire. They practiced child prostitution. That every possible sin, violence—the emperors for 200 years were not just homosexual; they were pedophiles. Nero married a 12-year-old boy he had castrated and called him his wife. The top man in the world they perversion, their sin became so embellished, so it grew because there was no God there. It's amazing the massive imaginative properties of the fallen mind. Okay. One amen. Whoa! For this reason God gave them up. Verse 26. To vile passions, women exchanged natural use of what "...is against nature. Likewise, men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due." Now, so he—Paul says what happens is when God leaves, people's moral compass is broken, and they're no longer living in the boundaries and the set gift of sexuality. Sexuality is a gift from God— When God leaves, men always abuse it. Thank you, brother. (laughs) Moving you to the front row. (laughs) Now, some some important thoughts about this are, are this. The ultimate rebellion against God is to deny your created gift from God, your created identity. It's the ultimate rebellion. What do you tell God? No, I'm I'm not going to be that. I'm going to be something else. I'll be whatever I want to be. God allows that, but God doesn't bless that. The ultimate rebellion or form of rebellion is to reject the design God gave you at your birth. God decided your gender for you and he was not confused. Now, let me just add... The gospel sets confused people free. Our job is not to hate people that are doing, a, practicing a different lifestyle. Our job is to lovingly introduce them to Jesus. Be their friends. Preach the gospel to them. Show them a love they've never seen before. Because there's, mm, there's no mind so confused Christ can't heal it. I should know. I had a clinical suicidal depression. He healed me. Okay. N- next line. Even though, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over that thing again to a debased mind. A mind without judgment. To do the things which are not fitting, convenient. So, so what happens, uh, It's amazing some of the most intellectual people in the world have the least discernment. And they sanction things. So now our government from the White House down to all the agencies is saying, we want to create a pathway for underage children to go through physical transformation if they feel they're in the wrong body. But in our laws, you can't vote if you're under 18. You can't drink. You can't do hardly nothing. We have a million things you can't do if you're under 18. At the top of that list should be a a surgery that permanently damages and transforms your body. Now, we have a ministry to transgender people. We love them, and they're welcome here. But we believe Jesus Christ can heal them, just like he heals anyone else. Adulterers and fornicators, people bound by pornography, people bound by drugs. I don't care what it is. Jesus heals it all. Still love me? No. Okay, next verse. Then Paul just kind of unleashes, okay? He's not done. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, verse 29. Wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, of evil things, disobedient to parents, undeserving, uh, excuse me, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. (sighs) Pretty much covered it all there. What, What are they? Really good sinners. You know what they did good at Rome? Sinned good. You know why they needed the gospel? To be set free. To be set free. And so Paul's talking about the broad base. So let me just say this. The gospel can heal the person in sexual confusion. The gospel can set people free from wickedness. The gospel can heal you from covetousness. The gospel can deliver you from envy and murder and strife and deceit. The gospel can heal backbiters and haters of God and whisperers. The gospel can heal the violent, the proud, the boaster, the inventor of evil things. The gospel can deliver people disobedient to their parents, the undiscerning. The gospel can heal the untrustworthy, the unforgiving, the unmerciful. There's nothing the gospel can't heal. There's no one the gospel can't heal. There's no sin the gospel can't forgive. And there's no bondage the gospel can't break. There's no stronghold the gospel can't set you free from. The gospel has the power to set anyone free from anything they're bound and oppressed by. The gospel is the power to get your mind right and free you from every lie you believed about yourself. The gospel is the power to set you free from trauma and abuse and addiction and violence from the childhood pain of your past. The gospel is the power to deliver you from anger and hatred and rage. The gospel is the power to break every addiction out of your life. The gospel is the power to completely change everything about you. The gospel has the power to fill the most angry heart with love and turn a violent man into a walking teddy bear. <laughs> the joy I've led a, a few motorcycle <clears throat> gang members to Christ. And the first one I did, he was six foot eight or nine, maybe three fifty. I mean, he was a man. Back then I weighed a little less than this. But I stood, I stood, I said, sir, I said, sir. When he accepted Christ, he couldn't stop crying. Every time I saw him, he's weeping. Just this big 350-pound teddy bear. Now, I know he's hurt people. I know he's done criminal activities. He may have killed people. I don't know. He was in a serious gang. All I know is that Jesus can change any heart. He can deliver any mind. He can rescue any soul. He can transform any life. Stop telling God who He can't save. Stop telling God who He can't deliver. Stop telling God what He can't do. There's nothing the gospel can't do. There's no person so lost Jesus can't save them, redeem them, and transform them. There's no family member in your world so bound by deception that God can't set them free. The gospel is the power of God. Jesus sets people free. He did it then. He does it now. He'll do it again. Come on, stand at your feet and give God a shout of praise. Someone shout Jesus. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, things are going to get hairy in the next few years, potentially, when it comes to these very topics. The church must stay in love and stay in truth. Whenever the church abandons truth, to try to show love, they always end up losing the power of the gospel. Come on, ask the Methodist Church, Presbyterian Church, Episcopal Church, Lutheran Church. All the things they've adopted to try to be more relative has weakened them to nothing, numerically and spiritually. The church must stay in love and stay in truth, and so should we. If you have someone in sexual confusion in your family, don't stop loving them. Don't leave them. Don't don't disown them. Stay in the world. Love them. It's a lie. If anyone ever tells you, the only way you can love them is to accept their behavior. I love you even when you're crazy. Come on, Mary and I raised four kids when our kids were teenagers. We never stopped loving them even when they had temporary insanity. Called the teenage years. I don't have to approve of someone's behavior to love them. Amen? Don't let love leave, but don't let truth leave. If you love someone enough, you can have conversations with them that change their life when they finally trust you, when they finally open up. I promise you a couple things. No one in identity confusion lives with the permanent peace or happiness. There's an inner turmoil because they're going against the grain of their created nature. It's impossible to soothe that. No matter how much acceptance culturally they get, it's impossible to take that angst away. Why? Because it's a thing between them and God, not people. The way we help them is to show them Jesus can change you. There are people in this church that Jesus has transformed Came out of a homosexual lifestyle, a transgender lifestyle, whatever it was, an adulterous lifestyle, a fornicating lifestyle. Now there's more lifestyles than I, I have to keep reading new books to catch up. Oh, I didn't know that was possible, but okay. That's a thing now too. Wow. It doesn't matter what the thing is, Jesus is the answer. Prayer team, if you join me down front. let heaven come come on lift your hands to heaven everybody (laughs) To the father except through me and the bible says the wages of sin is death romans says that we'll get to it but the gift of god is eternal life jesus died for you he came for you he loves you he's for you he's not mad at you he's wanting you and his family if you've never received christ make this your day we'd be so honored to pray for you if you've been away from god come back home come back home into the loving arms Father. If you need a healing in your body or your mind and you say, Pastor, I need prayer today. We're here to pray for you, the, praying, the prayer of faith, standing in God's word. And maybe this is just a outrageously difficult season or month or moment. You just need someone to pray for you. Come forward if you need prayer for those or any reason. Churches for 90 seconds longer would you worship God with me while those seeking prayer come forward? Thank you, God, for touching every person that comes forward.